Today we're going to talk about how to win at what matters. So as you live your life, if you're going to live it in a way that matters for what, what really is important, then we ought to ask, how do we do that? You know, it's great that we can declare what we think is most important in this life according to what God has declared for us. But what if we don't know how to do that? What if we need a better plan? What if there's the best way, uh, best practices, as we might say today, to being able to do that? So um, if you're going to play a game, there's usually rules. And I remember my son, I was taking him to uh, watch some of uh, uh, the kids in our youth group playing softball. They're playing a baseball game uh, two different teams. We knew kids on both sides. And so as a youth pastor, that's a double win. You're going to one game, you got to see kids on both sides. And so you're cheering them on and, and you're really just trying to cheer them on in their life, you know. And my four-year-old son, after the game, saw all this, and he wanted to go run the bases, just like everybody else. Well, his cousin was one of the kids that was playing, and so he goes out there, and he runs around the bases, and he comes to home plate, and he starts there, but only he goes to third base, and then the second base, and then the first base, and of course, all the kids go, and then they, they cheer for him, and they pick him up like he had hit a home run or something like that, and, and it was all fun, but nobody told him, it doesn't matter, but you ran the wrong way. You know, that's not how you do this. There are rules to this. And, um, and there's, you may want to do that. And, and he, in the end, he would say, but I did make it home, right? But we all know that's not how you do it. There's a right way to do it. There's a best way to do that. You could try that in a game, but surely there'll be someone uh, dis- discussing how that was wrong. And it might be an umpire saying, you're out. Um, my daughter was playing uh, basketball at a very young age. And she was, for some reason, she was just really tall and uh, that age. And so she was much taller than the girls around her. And so uh, we got to show her about this thing called rebounds. And she was really good at those. The ball come off the backboard and she would go up and get that basketball and she'd bring it down and say, okay, now when you get a rebound, honey, you put it right back up there and you try to get into the goal and into the, the basketball rim. And so she would take that ball and she'd go back up with it and, and try, you know, and it was sometimes it went in, sometimes it didn't. She's only about eight years old now. And um, we were watching her play one day and the basketball comes off the backboard. She goes up and gets that rebound. And I'm like, like you know, a good dad. I'm sitting there like, go ahead, come on, you got it. I'm cheering from the sidelines. And she goes up, puts it back up in. And another time the ball comes down. She gets the ball and she looks around and she sees the other girl there. And she goes, here you go. And she has the ball to the other girl on the other team. And I thought, well, how nice is that? And how wrong is that? That's not how you win. But that was really nice of you. And Leisha's like, well, did I do something wrong? I go, you know what? Technically, no, but that's not how you're going to win the game. Um, I remember being in, Portu- in, in Brazil, and I told you last week a story about Portuguese and my friend coming from Brazil and how his learning English would cause him to struggle uh, being able to pronounce all the words right in English. And so we, had this, we have this ongoing relationship where he's always helping me learn Portuguese, the, uh, the native tongue of Brazil. And being a Brazilian, you know, he's always trying to learn English, and I'm trying to help him with saying the difference between winner and the other word, you know. And so if you were here last week, or you can always watch the video. Uh, so my friend Samuel is, is working through that. He's teaching English. And so anytime I can help him, I'm willing to do that. So we're on a trip, we're on a trip, and we're going to actually another country while we're in Brazil. And we're doing a mission trip with his church. 
And so I'm kind of coaching people through this, and it's going really well. And, and, um, and of course, I figure, well, if I can use teaching English as a tool to coach people, that'd be wonderful too. So sure enough, that's one of the options that we had at different times. People would want to know words in English. And so I would do my best to try to teach them. So we get done after doing a wonderful night of ministry and all kinds of cool things. Got to meet a lot of great people. And uh, uh, we're, we're finished, and we're in a Brazilian restaurant. And we're, we're sitting around there, we're eating uh, churrascaria, which means Brazilian steak, and it's wonderful. And so we're, we're eating that, and it's wonderful. And, and so we get done, and we're having a great time. If, you're, if you've ever met a Brazilian, you know that you better get plenty of time for talking, because Brazilians love to share life, and relationships matter so much. And so we're talking, and we're sharing, we're carrying on, they're always telling jokes. And, and so across the room, my friend Samuel and, and another friend named Daniela, they said, Hey, Scotchy, that's, what they, that's how you say my name in Portuguese. The, the T at the end of the word becomes a CH sound. So uh, Scott becomes Scotch, and then they always put E at the end of things. So I'm Scotchy. And hey, Scotchy, across the room. And I'm like, hey, that's me. I know that. And there's not many Scotchies in Brazil. And so I look over there, and I'm paying attention. And I'm like, hey. And they're like, hey, we need some help with English. Well, here I am. I'm an expert in English, right? You know, I'm from America. We speak English. And so, uh, you know, like, yeah. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking for a word. And I should have known that my friends would have a little fun with me because uh, we love to have fun in, in, in Brazil, of course. But I wasn't thinking that way. I was thinking, I'll be a blessing. I'm going to show them how to win at what matters in learning English, right? So they say, hey, we need a word. We're struggling with this word. Like, okay, what's that word? And there's a lot of people going on. And so we're having to shout over the crowd. And they said, the word, you know, what's that? That I think it's a time. It's our day or something. Whenever you, you, like, you work all week and then they give you money, you get your wages. I go, oh. I'm an expert in English. I know this word. That's payday, you know? And so I go, that's payday. And they're like, what? We didn't hear you. That should have been my second clue. Well, they heard me. But he's like, say that again. We didn't hear you. And I said, payday. I shouted across the room. And of course, they're like, we still didn't hear you. This was my third clue. And now this is all on me because I should have figured out, knowing my friends, that they were setting me up because then I yelled at the top of my lungs, payday. Which in Portuguese, I just yelled, I farted. <laughs> and so <laughs> I should have known, right? There's a right way to do things, and that was not how you teach people English. If you want to teach them to speak English, have a conversation. Don't shout across the room because you're probably getting set up. And so uh, there's ways to win, and there's, way, uh, there's a way to win that uh, is often better. So think about it in life. There are many game plans. Many strategies of how you can choose to win. You can run a business a certain way. You can maybe, uh, you can do a song. We heard four beautiful songs this morning, giving us a chance to, to focus on the Lord and just, just kind of step back from the busyness of our life and just say, Lord, you're most important. That's what I want to focus. But, but the way they did the song, and Jonathan works all week long, and the team comes together, and they craft the song the way that Mosaic worship would do it. Now, you could go to another church this morning and hear, maybe hear one of those songs done a little bit differently, but it'd still be that song. It's just different ways to get things done. And so the question would be asked is if we go through life, whether you're putting together a concert or maybe a baseball game plan, perhaps uh, as a personal trainer, uh, there'd be a certain way to help you to accomplish your goals, but there might be more than one way. I, I worked at GNC and I've done some personal training and, and based on your goals, I may suggest this, this, and this, and somebody else would say, no, here's a better plan. And you would say, which one is that plan? And, and maybe both of those would work. Maybe there'd be, be different ways, but 
But when it comes to winning at what matters, we, we want to ask, what is the best way to do that? Think about this phrase. One life, so soon it will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. And if that's true, we ought to really be good at what's, what's matter, what matters, you know. So let's just review from last week. We talked about what, was, what really mattered. We started with Jesus' motive. His motive, motive was love. Remember the great commandment, the greatest commandment he was asked over and over again. And he shared, he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of sum that up pretty quickly. The first and most important commandment, and the second would be that. So if we're going to be great at anything, if we're going to win at what matters, it would be to love God and to love others. And then the Jesus's mission was spelled out in the Great Commission. The Great Commandment was love God, love others. The Jesus mission was to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we would do. And so if we're going to win at what matters, it would be to love God, love others, make disciples. Kind of simplifies things, doesn't it? Winning at what matters would be to love God, love others, make disciples. And so we can choose to invest our lives in many different ways, but if we would choose to win at what Jesus said mattered most, it would be summed up in these six words. And so that's where we're at today. We're talking about that. But today we're going to actually talk about, we, we talked about Jesus' um, mission and his motive. Now we're going to talk about his method and his model. The model would be Jesus. As scriptures would say in Luke 6.40, it says, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like his teacher. And so, in other words, those who we're teaching and instructing, that's who we'll be like. So in other words, our model would be someone we want to be like. We were talking this morning, uh, some of us were talking about parenthood and, and how that we are constantly watching other parents. And so we will model things that we've learned from other parents who are doing a good job, you know. And so I hope that there were times that people maybe looked at our, our, our time with our kids and maybe say that was a good model because we certainly did that with many people around us. So you look for the best model and the model we would believe would be Jesus Christ. And 1 John 2, 6 says this, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So in other words, those, if you're going to pick a great model, I can't think of a better one. And if you're visiting with us today and you're, this is kind of new information for you or you're kind of wondering about this whole Jesus thing, uh, that's what we would declare today is we have chosen to live our lives after Jesus. Why? Well, there's so many reasons why. And we would love to be able to share more with that. But bottom line is that he was the greatest man that ever lived, the son of God who gave his life for us, lived a perfect life, modeled to us what uh, life was supposed to be lived like and the mission and importance of reaching this world. And so we love Jesus, and so he is our perfect model. Um, he is the one that did it right. And, uh, but then the method would be, well, let's, if he's our model, our method would be following him, the master's plan. We would say he is our master. Uh, think about this phrase. Jesus took a group of unqualified, uneducated, unknown young men, and in less than four years, he created a movement that turned the world upside down and continues to change lives today. That's why we choose him as our model. Nobody did it like Jesus. The model that he lived, the way he lived his life was, uh, was impeccable. We, we still are talking about it 2,000 years later. And all around this world today, somebody is doing the same thing in other countries and other places because he was the most amazing. And so his plan has to be the best. So if we're going to say we want to win at what matters then we should say how to win at what matters would be looking at the perfect model, Jesus, and then say, let's look at his method. Well, did he have a method? 
We believe so. If you read the scriptures, what we call the gospels, we would believe that there was intentionality in what Jesus did. He didn't just kind of walk around life going, hey, you're cool, be healed. You know, hey, I, I don't know who you are, but let's get to know each other. He just didn't do that. He was very intentional about what he did. You'll see the scriptures all the time. He's, you'll, you'll see that he was moving to places and doing things with a very clear intention and purpose. And so if he did have a plan, what would that plan be? There's a tool that you may well want to get a hold of someday. It's called the Harmony of the Gospels. And what it does is it takes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it puts all the events in chronological order. So that way you can see how it took place. And so you'll notice that it's not always written that way. Just like if we were to talk about our weekend, we probably won't start at Friday at five. You know, we'll talk about some different things and we'll backtrack. And, and so the gospels are often written like that as well too. Luke is the closest. If you read the book of Luke, you'll notice that's a little bit more close to that. But we will notice that there was a plan that he had in place. And Jesus was, was not only was he intentionally about his plan to make disciples, to love God and to love others, but that he was also inviting others to come with him to do it. It wasn't a solo mission. Uh, he could have done it. If anybody could have done it, it would have been him. But he chose to involve others on purpose so that there would be a movement that would outlast his life. We talked about that last week, that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you will do these works. And they're going, time out, no way. We're not Jesus, we can never do those. He says, wait, not only will you do these works that I'm doing, making disciples, loving God and loving others, but you will do even greater works than me. You're like, how is that possible? Well, Jesus would say, because of the idea of his plan, you'll see in this plan, it was clear that he was putting into people's lives that would multiply the work that he was doing. He was adding to the kingdom when he came, but his plan was always to make disciples who would make disciples who would end up making disciples. And so the concept was multiplication over addition. And so all of us are kind of smart enough to know that that's going to last so much longer and the return is so much better. So to change the world, Jesus was very intentional and he was planting so many more seeds than what we could even understand. And so what he, we noticed that him doing was very clear was that he was setting up a disciple-making plan that could be reproduced because... Again, like you and I, you know, we're not Jesus. <laughs> we can't do all the things that he could do unless he simplified it. He even said that, that unless you come to God like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, unless our faith gets really simple and really focused and really clear and passionate about what's important, we probably won't really be able to see God in the first place and understand him and turn from our ways to follow him. But it also comes to make sense that if we're going to follow him and make disciples, that he would need to be a plan that we could all do. You see, we want to just like say, hey, we hired Pastor Adam so that he can do that for us, and then we'll come to church and see how good he did all week. Well, that's just not how Jesus' plan works out. We could choose to do that, but you'll notice that most churches that do that don't grow. So a church that wants to grow would have to say, how do we win at what matters most? How do we do that? And they would step back and probably say, well, because the greatest model was Jesus and he had a very clear plan, the master's plan, we ought to look at that. Okay, so here's how it goes. It's pretty simple. That's why there's four chairs up here. And so we're going to start with chair number one because chair number one is the unbeliever. You can use the word lost, uh, seeker, uh, someone who is searching. Um, all of us have sat in chair number one. So um, that would be this chair right here. Chair number one is all of us at some point or another. Before we came to know Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord today and you've chosen to follow him, then you're not here anymore, but you were here. 
You were here. I can remember when I was here. You heard my testimony a couple weeks ago. My wife, uh, Melinda, as we shared. But all of us at some point or another are lost. We're without Christ. We have a plan. We have our life. We have our things. But we have not spiritually connected with God yet. And there's nothing wrong with chair number one. And sometimes you got to feel like, oh, no. No, chair number one's a real place. In fact, when we get real about being in chair one, it's when we can actually see who it is that God is and we can actually understand him. So Jesus had a very simple challenge to people in chair number one. It was there for you and I, whether we recognize it or not. But, but Jesus was never, like, never felt like hurried or rushed to try to get you to say, oh, my goodness, you can't just stay in chair number one. Something has to happen. He was confident that when you saw the light, to borrow from an old song, that when you saw the light, you would change. It would be different for you. And you would understand that. So his challenge was, come and see. Come and see. That's, it was just that simple from John 1.39 when he meets Philip and he says, Philip, come and see. Come check it out. We don't have to panic or worry about helping people to understand who Jesus is because once they understand, he's pretty irresistible. Got to admit, now there's a whole lot of debates and questions that people might have and things that they might have to work through in time. But Jesus was confident that the life that following him as he followed the Father that would lead to heaven would help people to say, hey, you know what? Do you really want to stay in chair number one? If you do, that is your option. But is that really what you want? Now, I love some other of the scriptures that talk about that challenge as well. So in John 1, 46, um, Nathaniel says, can anything good comes from Nazareth? This talking about Jesus. And then Philip, who was just challenged to follow Jesus to come and see, um, he responds this way. He says, come and see for yourself. So in other words, just come and see Jesus. Now, we're not talking about come and see a church, although that's a great place for that to happen. I mean, that's what we're hoping to do here, right? Is to lift up Jesus as a place where you'd say, I got to consider that. You know, if I don't know him, I need to check this out because there's something different about these people. There's something different about what took place this morning. This idea of worship, that makes sense to me, that I can love God on a spiritual level. I'm checking this out. And so uh, for Philip, his challenge was clear. Come and see, told Nathaniel. Uh, in the Psalm, Psalm 34, 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joys for those who take refuge in him. Taste and see. Come and see. Know that when you check out who God is for real and you really come with an open heart and open mind, you'll see what we're talking about. Isaiah 1.18 puts it this way. Come now, let us settle this. Or come now, let us reason together. And though your sins be like scarlet, he can make them white as snow. So that's the challenge is just come and see. Sometimes we in the church, we feel like, if someone's not, not a believer, we got to talk them into Jesus or we got to put some pressure on them or we got to really, really put a lot of work into helping them to understand. Or what if we just let them see Jesus? What if we just love Jesus so real that they go, what is it you have? So that's what chair number one is. Chair number one, we're so glad for people who are in chair number one to be in church, to be part of our lives. But chances are they're not just looking for a church every Sunday. Most likely, those of us who know God are going to come to chair number one. We're going to look for people in our life that don't know him because we know the joys that we have in Christ and how wonderful that is. So um, we here at Mosaic absolutely love people in chair one because we were all there. And most of us haven't forgot what that feels like. And we can remember the time when someone shared with us about Christ so we could come and see. For me, as a young man, I had a friend that just told me about Jesus and I didn't quite get it all. 
But then when I was able to hear it more clearly, I could realize that his life was shouting to me the whole time that there is Jesus and he is amazing and he's worth following. So chair number one, the challenge is simple. Come and see. So if you don't know the Lord is your Savior today, you've never made that decision, there's no pressure. First of all, we're just so glad that you're here. We hope to never put pressure upon you. But the other part was to also make it clear why it is that we're here too and hope that you would come and see this Jesus that we love so much. He's our life. It's not a pastor or staff thing. It's not a church leadership thing. It's a we thing because we were all once in this place where we were lost and then we were found. So chair number two is our next topic of conversation. And chair number two is the place where we understand that we have actually been um, able to understand who Jesus is and some transformation took place in our, our life. So in chair number two, we are now the believer. Chair number two is for the person who says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I'm a believer. I choose to follow Jesus. So at some point in here, there was a decision to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. And so I can make it very personal and I would become a believer. And so Jesus would spend time with people in chair number one and the way he would talk and minister to them was unique and different than someone who was in chair number two. Because chair number two, the challenge now was no longer come and see. They were already doing that. Now it's to follow me. Chair number two, the challenge for the believers, follow me. So once you understand who Jesus is, you can understand that his life is a pattern and is a place and there was a, there's a purpose and there's things to do that will cause you to want to live for God. Because I think for me at least, understanding who I am in chair number one, what being lost, what being without God means is that one, the, the, the ramifications of my sin were, will, will overtake me, that one day my eternity will, will not be with God, realizing all those things and that only Jesus dying on the cross to pay for my sins would give me eternal life, that to get to chair number two, to truly trust and believe him and just follow him, like, wow, that's the least I could do, right? He's given me so much that the least I can do is to follow him. And so that's Jesus's challenge, follow me. And so we who made a decision to follow Christ have chosen to be, say, I want to follow you, Lord. This is our plan. This is what we've chosen to do. We've come to the place where we say, this is our life, and this is how we want to live. Jesus found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Why? Because in John 1.45, Philip says he went to, uh, to look for Nathaniel, and he told him, we have found the very person Moses, the prophets, have written about. His name is Jesus. He is the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Follow me. We found the man. We found what we've been looking for all of our life. Maybe you're at that place today. You're still in chair number one and, and, and you haven't found what you've been looking for. You know there's something more to life and, and somehow it just seems empty. It, doesn't, it seems like you're accomplishing goals and like last week we talked about winning and what matters but maybe you're winning at so many things and none of them seem to matter. There's somewhere inside of you you know that there's more. That more we declare today is Jesus. And so if you don't know him, that's the challenge is to come follow him. You go, that's that simple? Yeah. Because see, you can't do anything to get over here except for to receive it. Jesus already died to pay for all those sins. And so our challenge for us in chair number two is simple, is to follow him. You say, that's simple, isn't it? So, yeah and no, okay? <laughs> it's simple because we have a clear, direct pattern, a place where we can shoot our life uh, goals towards, and that's following Jesus. As we said earlier, to live like him. If anyone says that they're in God, they would want to live as Jesus. Another version would say that they would follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And so that's what we're doing. 
Now, following him, I can take on a lot of different looks. Uh, obviously, one of those things is just spending time with God, is being able to know him through his word. And so when we read the Bible, we're hearing God's love letter to us as he continues to speak to us and, and show out his revelation of who he is through Jesus and all the other writings. We can understand how to follow Jesus so much better. And so that's what chair two is all about, is, is to follow him. And so we need his word. And that's why we, we preach it every Sunday. That's why you'll be in, in Thrive groups coming up this, uh, this fall, where opportunities where you can get in groups where you talk about God's word and to learn and grow from one another and to study that. But that's one way we learn. Another way we grow, we follow him, is by prayer. We can actually talk to God. You see here, our prayers, we didn't have a relationship with God, so we weren't talking to him. It was like we didn't have that relationship yet. But then when we got to the place where we said, yes, I want that relationship. It's not about rules or being perfect, because none of us will. But that we would choose to follow him. And now we realize, Jesus, I need some help here. <laughs> this isn't easy. I wanted to say another word to that person at the restaurant today. You know, uh, Jesus, I want to do this at work today because this person's driving me crazy. I, the temptation to fall away and sin and to make my life matter for you. Jesus, I need direction. And so I would pray to God. I could talk to him about the people in my life, the things in my life, my heartbeat, the things that, that I think God's teaching me through his word. And how do I live those out? And so that relationship with God is listening to him, talk to me, and then I pray back to him, and then I listen for him. I can follow him. There's a plan. I can worship him. That's what we did this morning. That's what, what we as believers do. Our lives are worship. We use music to do that this morning, but our whole life can be a worship to him. How we play a baseball game can be how we can worship God. And so we've chosen to do that. So we want to um, identify with Christ, understand who he is and what that means like. Uh, we want to walk with him. We want to talk with him. We want to be able to ask forgiveness for the things we do wrong. We want to be able to feed ourselves. We don't want to count on just Sunday morning, you know, to hear the word. We want to learn to grow in ourselves. Now that's a lot of stuff, right? And it takes time to do that. You know, Jesus spent two and a half to three years with his disciples here in chair number two on purpose. Because this takes time. It's growth. So the moment we, when we were over here, we were lost. We were basically spiritually dead. The moment we walked over here, we became spiritually alive. We were spiritual babies, okay? The moment we accepted Christ, we were spiritual babies. We didn't do this thing yet. It's brand new. And so that process of growth takes time. Just like as we watch our kids grow and our G kids and, you know, watching them all take their next steps and how exciting it is. But it doesn't happen overnight. There's a process there. And you can't rush that. And so no, we want anybody to rush here. The temptation is when we make this decision that we want to run through and do everything and become a leader and make everything happen right away. And yet God takes time with us because that relationship is so important. You know, the relationships in your life, how important they are. You would never want to rush them. You just enjoy them. You take them in. You learn and grow from one another. You give and you take and you give and you take. And that's what's happening here. We're following Jesus and like I said, he spent two and a half to three years with his disciples in this process because they would need to learn and grow. It was different. It was new. And so will there be mistakes in chair number two? Oh, yeah. All the time. I'm, I'm a witness. <laughs> I did it plenty of times as well, too. But that's okay because the process is that I'm growing and following him. And so I was trying to become more like Jesus by being in chair number two. But something happened along the way in chair number two. I don't know if it happens with you, but in chair number two, all of a sudden I found myself at a place where chair number three kind of mattered a little bit more to me. Um, because in chair number two, there's a passage where Jesus talks about Matthew chapter nine, says, 
uh, that, we, that Jesus says to his disciples, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field. Now, why would he say that? Because this whole process of making disciples would take people and he would need more workers. And all of a sudden, one day I found myself with that burden to become one of those workers, someone who would choose to be involved in, in the process. So chair number three would be the worker. This doesn't necessarily mean a worker like someone who helps set up the stage and, and put together the programs and stuff like that. That's working, and that's a worker for the Lord. But in the disciple-making process, when Jesus was, talk, was talking about the disciples uh, praying for more workers in, uh, so that more people would come into the harvest, he was talking about people who would be part of the disciple-making process. So in chair number three, this is for people who are wanting to be able to serve God more. They got to the place where it's not about keep feeding me, keep feeding me, I'm growing, I'm learning. It's like, uh, okay, I want to help other people do this. See how that changed? The challenge for people in chair three, while, while it's follow me was the first one, this is follow me and I'll make you fishers of men or fishers of people. So follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Matthew 4, 19 says this. So what is that? Fishers of people, the challenge would be that you would come now and help others to grow in their faith. So basically put, put this way, it's kind of simple. In the sense, if you're in chair three, you're the person who, while you're sitting here, you're looking back, you're, you're, you're no longer thinking about how do I grow in the Lord? You, I mean, I shouldn't say no longer, but that's not your primary cause anymore. When you were in chair number two, it was how do I grow in the Lord? How do I get, I mean, what does it mean to pray? How, does it, what, how do I witness to other people? How do I tell people about Jesus? How do I bring people to church? How do I serve him? All those things that were very important questions. But we tend to be, when we're at this place, we're, we're pretty much focused on ourselves. Because, you know, think about it. When you have a baby, it pretty much demands all the attention, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, when she or he starts to cry, we're all like, stop, what does that baby need, you know? And so as we're growing, there's a lot of attention placed on us. And that's kind of nice. Here's the problem, though. Some of us stay in chair number two and go, this is real nice. Man, the church just loves me, and they take care of me, and they, they're always checking on me and stuff. I really like this. This is kind of comfortable. I think I'm just I'm going to stay here a while. This is cool. Oh, nice song. I don't like that song. I wish you guys would. You know, we start getting where we think it's all about us. We were supposed to grow for a reason. Just like in real life, we, in physical life, we grow to a place that we realize, you know, hey, you know what? I got bills I need to pay. I got responsibilities. It's no longer about us. Being in youth ministry, we get to watch that transition take place all the time where students have gone from like, well, I want, I don't like, you know, to where it's like, hey, I want to get a place of my own. Or I want to find a job. I want to do something. And that's kind of what happens in chair number three. At this point, we've come to a place where you look back and go, how do I help them? What can I do to help chair one and chair two people in my life? And Jesus knew that that would happen, that if they would understand, come and see who Jesus is, that they would follow him long enough to where they would go, Jesus, can I drive the car? I want in on that. That is great stuff. You know, this, what you're doing is incredible. In chair two, we kind of think that, you know, we kind of like, well, God, just keep blessing me. Keep helping me. This is really good. I, I need you to do this. Can you, can you take care of that? And that doesn't mean we don't still pray like that here sometimes. Here, our prayers tend to be much more, Lord. You know, my friend Joe, I've, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I just have a burden for him. And I feel like, Lord, I don't think he knows you. And my heart is breaking for him because he's, he's become more than a friend. And my heartbeat is for him. So I'm just, God, what can I do? What can you do? What are you going to do to bring him to chair two? I don't want him to die without you. I want him to live in you. I want him to understand all the great things. that Lord, I'm praying for him. To see his prayers have changed. They're not focused on, on himself as much now. They're focused on another person. 
You know, if you're serving, maybe you're on the worship team, you're part of a, a setup team or whatever, and not only you're part of the team, like everybody else in church too, but you come to the place now where it's like, Lord, you know, uh, these people, this is my team, this is my tribe, this is my family, and I care about them, and so I have a friend that's struggling. I mean, they're here and they know you, but Lord, they're, they're going through some difficult stuff. God, I don't, can I be useful? What can we do? Lord, what is, is it that we as a church can do to help this person grow? You see what happened in chair three? You know, it, they came to a place where I want to be fishers of people. Jesus, I want to be involved in this process. And Jesus knew that once you did this long enough, you would catch on to this. The problem is, is when we sat here so long that we actually became numb to that calling, that challenge where, you know, hey, you know, you can make a difference. Like, yeah, well, you know, I'm getting older. You know, I'm busy right now. You know, my kids are young. My kids are old. My kids are, are not here. We can make a lot of different reasons, excuses to say, well, I just need to stay here for a while. And don't get me wrong. There have been times when I've been in chair two or chair three or maybe even chair four. And I'm like, you know what? I need a time out. And I kind of lived a little bit more like chair two because I needed just a, a time out. I needed just to, to be fed where, you know, maybe I gave out so much and I really wasn't uh, full to do that. But the goal is that we would grow through this process to where we are now God's tools. Second, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created, created unto Jesus Christ for good works. You know, we, we all know we were made for something more. We all know that we were created to do something. We're not, we're not just going to receive all of our lives. That, that if that's true, physically speaking, that spiritually we were, we're wired the same way. That God would raise us up to a place where it's like, I'm in. <laughs> Let's do this thing. So chair number three, the challenge is clear that we would be at a place where we would say, I want to be a fisher of person, people. Chair number four is different. This one's a big change. Big challenge. And again, this whole process, if you notice, this takes years. For some people, maybe less, some people a little bit more, but it's a process that we grow through. But chair number four would be a challenge to where someone who's been seasoned in the faith and they've been living in chair three long enough to something happen. And chair number four is called the disciple maker. Jesus' goal was clear that he was meeting people who did not know him, that he would walk them into a relationship, show them how that they could know him. He would say, come and see me. Now follow me. Now serve me as you would try to reach other people. And now that I'm going, I trust you to make disciples of disciple makers. That's a leadership role. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you lead a ministry or a department because uh, people can do that without being disciple makers. You could also not be a part of any official team, but you could be really great at making disciples because you've understood how to pour your life into other people. Uh, the challenge here is to go and bear much fruit. So for the disciple maker is to go and bear much fruit. In this passage, it's interesting because Jesus says, I am the vine, my, my father is the gardener, and you are the branches, and now you are to go and bear fruit. That's why he starts the chapter off, and he says, without me, you can do nothing. And then later on, he starts talking a little bit more, and he says, so that you can bear more fruit, and he describes how that happens. But basically, you now live with Jesus, you walk with him, and you understand him more. But to bear much fruit, it would require sacrifice, but you could do that. They take pruning and relationship with God at a much deeper level. But to go and bear much fruit, you're at a place now where you're looking for leaders, disciple makers that you can pour into. And so... Uh, Paul would say it later in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he says, Paul, he says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, the things you've heard me, from me, heard and said from me, 
I want you to entrust to faithful men and women who will also be able to teach others also. And so the concept that you would pass on to somebody else, to pass on to somebody else, to pass on to somebody else. You see where this is going? You see how the multiplication can really happen when we pour our lives into someone to the place where they truly can pass on what it is that they've been given. But many times that's a lot of work and we don't see that and we think that's going to be very, very difficult. This person in chair four, you would be that person where you would say, yes, I care about all three of these chairs. And I'm going to be reaching people who don't know the Lord all my life because when we don't know the Lord, we need that. And I'm going to help people grow in their faith all the time. I'm hoping to say something from God's word or encourage somebody, um, look for someone who may be struggling, always do that. But I tend to focus a little bit more now on chair three because I realize that if we raise up people to chair three, the more time that this happens and I pour into this person, he or she's going to pour into so many more people. You see how that works? So the, grow, the goal is that we move people along to a place where, are we, I shouldn't say move people, we challenge them and let God move them at the pace that he would move. We don't have to make this happen. The cool thing is the Holy Spirit does that work. He's the one that calls our heart and challenges us to get to that place where we would step up in our faith. We just need to respond. But this is the plan that Jesus used. And you can see how simple it is if we would choose to follow a plan like this and say, first of all, Lord, who is it in my life that doesn't know you? And what am I doing about that? Sometimes we as believers, we, we, if we stay here too long, we almost think that these people are those people, like they're somebody else. Or like, I see it, sometimes it breaks my heart where I feel like, sometimes people feel like they're the enemy because they don't believe what I believe. They don't know the truth and they're not, they don't believe like I do. And so, so on social media, we'll start a fight and we'll, we'll draw lines and we'll make it very clear, you're not us and we're not you. And Really? That's not what I see Jesus doing. He declares the truth, but he never has to draw lines. He just says, come and see. Come and see. And when people can see the love of Christ mixed with the truth of Christ and God's word, then they can understand that they could have that kind of life too. Chair number two, I have to ask the question, if this is where I'm at, am I growing in my faith? What am I doing to be able to get to know God more? What am I doing that's stretching me in my faith, in my walk? Um, you know, if you're wanting to get in shape, you're going to have to stretch yourself. You're going to have to go to some places that's not comfortable. You have to say no to some things that you want to eat. You're going to have to say yes to some things that hurt, especially for two or three days later. <laughs> but when you do those things, you grow. And you know it, growth rarely ever comes without discomfort, right? But are you ready to make that step to where you grow and stop? And maybe not be at a place where it's like, oh, man, you know, what about me? What about me? Where it's like, well, I need to know the Lord more. I just follow him more. Maybe your step in church, too. And here's the interesting thing. I wish we had a lot more time. I actually teach a seminar that takes four hours to go through that talks about all this. And we could do that maybe in another time. But, but interestingly enough about chair two, the best people who, to reach people in chair one, chair two. You're right there. You remember what it feels like to be found, to, to see the difference Jesus made in your life. And, and plus, the people you were hanging out with are right here. Sometimes we stay here so long that we almost don't even have anybody that we know that lives in chair one. So you would ask the question like, hey, can we pray for some of your people, your friends that maybe don't know the Lord yet? And you're like, oh, let's see. Oh, man, I don't know anybody. Because you've lived your whole, you've been spending all this time with uh, people who know the Lord. And that's great. And it's wonderful. and helps you to grow. But who's going to reach those people that don't? You know, who's going to share that? Who's going to show the love? Well, I honestly think that chair two people are the best because you're the closest to them. And so that would be our challenge is maybe, maybe your challenge today is that, that you're like, you know what? 
That's true. And what have I done for my friends over here in chair one? If they're my friends, I don't Got to at least help them to come and see, right? So help them to get that place there and that challenge there. So we all have that challenge before us now. The question is, which chair are you in? Is, is it chair one and you don't know Christ? You've never asked that question to where you say, Lord, I, I need to know you. I'm ready to do that. If you're in chair two, you're like, uh, I know you, Lord, but yeah, I think there's some things I need to do to step up my faith, right? I need to grow in that faith. And not that I can earn more of that gift that you gave me, but, but how can I show you with my life this great, loud, hallelujah, thank you for living and giving me what you've given me. And then if you're in chair number three, oh, sorry about that. Chair number three, are you at this place where you say, okay, you know what? I do care about others. And it's time for me to start doing something about that. I, I knew this, I felt this, but it's time for me to be a fisher of people. And I'm actually at a place now where I actually am concerned about others and, and how to help them to do that, how to help them to take that next step of faith. And maybe you've been in church three long enough to where you say, you know what, I need to pour into some leaders. And it's time for me now to make some sacrifice, be strategic, to invest my life into people's lives who will invest others on purpose so that this can be shared to somebody else. Sounds like a simple plan, doesn't it? And if we would do this, what's amazing is if we were to Every week, say, bring another 100 people into the service every week. Every week, bring another 100 people. We'd be, in eight or nine weeks, we'd be packed out of here. We don't have any more room left. We keep bringing 100 people in every week. We could reach a lot of people in a year's time, couldn't we? And over a period of time, it could reach all kinds of people. And that would be great if you could keep up that 100 a year. But you know, that's 100 a day, 100 every week, I'm sorry. 100 a week, that's almost impossible. But if you do this plan, within the period of like 15, 16 years, you're almost reaching the whole world. By 30 years, the entire world could be reached because we poured into people, we'll pour into others. And that's why Christianity is still strong today. Jesus had a plan of making disciples, how to win at what matters. And his plan was clear, is to pour into others. But here's the thing. If you notice why we struggled through all this, we know all this takes work. All of it takes time. Relationships aren't easy. You're going to make someone offended. You're inviting them to do something, say something. They're going to not understand it, and you've got to work through that. It's so much easier to say, hey, how about I just do this? I'm just going to do something that's just pretty simple, and it doesn't involve lies. Well, then that's not making disciples. You're helping others make disciples, and that's very valuable. But what if we all said, what is, if there's got to be at least one person in our life we can help challenge up to that next level or to grow in that place? So here's my questions as we wrap up today. What chair are you in? What chair is you? We're all one of those. And so as you think about that today, where, where is it that you think you are now? And that little bit of evaluation of your life right now can be so valuable as you walk in your faith because you can understand, okay, this is good. There's, nothing, there's no bad place on here. And none of these places are wrong. Just where are you? Recognize that first. So then you can know when you read the scripture, you can understand what Jesus is challenging because then the next challenge would be what chair do you want to be in? Are you happy with that? The chair that you're in, is that where you want to be? And if you are, then it's great. If not, what do we need to do to be able to change that? What challenges are before you that you think that God would be calling to you, asking you to do so that you can step up your game? Bow your head and close your eyes as we wrap up today. I just want to give you with this thought. I want you to think about what it would be like if you do step up and follow the Lord. What would that look like? Would you take a moment just to kind of reflect on what God's challenging you today? Perhaps he's, he's got a call for you right now. Where are you? Where do you want to be? And what does he want you to do about that?